Hello, everybody. It's your host, Jack Healy. And today on the Gotham Sports Machine, we're talking New York basketball with my co-host, Mark Healy, and our guest, Brian Geltziler, who's a host at SiriusXM's NBA Radio and a contributor at NBA TV. How would you guys enjoy those NBA finals? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was great basketball up and down the line. You know, I was following your tweets last night, Brian, <laughs> and, you know, it, it was a, it was a pleasure to follow, you know, to follow the game, but also see your reaction to it as well. I got a kick out of it. Well, thank you, sir. Much appreciated. So I feel like the headline has to be just how great Giannis played, especially coming off a pretty serious injury where no one. I especially did not think he was going to come back that early and play this good. I mean, three 40-point games, the guy was on a different level this, these playoffs. And I think he's proved that he's one of, if not, he could be the best player in basketball right now. Well, it's listen, it's, it's he best player, maybe not most effective player, yes. And I say that because I don't know that there's a skill set that any other player in a league that matches Kevin Durant's. With all that said, from an effectiveness standpoint, the dude's unbelievable. And I think what was most impressive about this series was his ability to take over games when that's what was necessary and to play decoy when that's what was necessary. Listen, he, you know, they won a couple of games in this series where he didn't get 40. You know, he had 26 in, in I believe it was game four. Uh, he had 32 in game five, but Middleton and Holiday both had it going in a big way in that game. And so he, at time, you know, his willingness to share the ball, his willingness to be a team player. And then in a night like last night, him taking the game over in the way that he did, he felt it. He was hot. The refs were giving him all the whistles. The free throws were going down. And he realized that holiday really didn't have it. Middleton didn't have it. And I, listen, I felt all along. I thought I was not sure that, his level of dominance was sustainable from a fatigue standpoint in the third and fourth quarters. He proved me wrong. He was amazing. He, he, everything went to the basket. He, you know, he ended up hitting one three, but he didn't take a lot of threes. He didn't take a lot of perimeter shots. He played the game in the paint. They had to change defenders on him. He got eight in foul trouble, which is something he really hadn't done all series. He was able to do that last night. They're going to Kaminsky. And once they had to guard him with Crowder and he can back into the paint and go over top, that was going to be that was going to be a big key. And listen, I thought that Phoenix in the first half did a nice job of doubling him in the post, trying to force him, force the ball out of his hands, which was really was the strategy all along. But Milwaukee had their spacing done right in the second half that when Phoenix did try to do that and bring those late doubles in the post, they were prepared with places for Giannis to go. And it didn't generate tons of assists, but it did generate a few hockey assists. And, and you know, you get contributions. Obviously, Bobby Portis's contribution was vital to them in the first half and the second quarter they were struggling to score a little bit Portis was able to do that but he had two pull-up jumpers in that second half when they closed out him hard on, on him hard from three and listen 16 points from Bobby Portis in a finals closeout game is a major major contribution especially on a night where once again both Holiday and Middleton really struggled to throw in the ocean just to switch gears to the Suns for a second you know you know, I, I, I've, there's too many people in our business, Brian, that are quick to, you know, uh, label someone's legacy as, as you know, um, 
you know, less than or whatever. There's been so many people writing about, tweeting about Chris Paul as someone who uh, can't be great because of his inability to win a championship. I don't think it's fair, uh, you know, especially when you think about, you know, the physical uh, ailments that he's played through, the leadership that he brings to whatever franchise he's playing for. Uh, do you feel that that criticism is fair of Chris Paul or are you uh, in the camp of people who can look at his greatness and not necessarily uh, label it uh, as less than because of the fact that he has yet to win a championship? Some of it's fair, Mark, and some of it's not fair. I think you're right, partially right. I think some of it is is fair because and, and it's interesting, you know, J.J. Uh, Reddick has this podcast, Old Man and the Three. And he had a conversation with Andre Iguodala regarding the Clippers teams earlier this week um, that he played on. And he talked about those teams being selfish teams, guys being in it for themselves. Listen, when we talk about Chris Paul's leadership, that stuff's on the resume, too. Uh, he was, you know, he got hurt up 3-2 in a conference final series against the Warriors playing with the Rockets, and they were not able to close out that series. Things happen. Players get hurt. He's had some injuries in the past. However, he couldn't get along well enough with James Harden to keep that together. He, and that's, you know, that's on him too. These are elements that are on his resume. And, you know, he's, listen, he's the only guy to blow four two zero leads in the NBA playoffs. Uh, you know, he's, that's all on his resume. With that said, so are all the great numbers. So were all the teams being led to the playoffs. So is the game winner in the first round to dethrone the Spurs that had won the championship the year before, you know, in 2015, when he hit that shot. So is this amazing run with an incredibly young team. That's all on the resume also. So I think it's, you know, we have a tendency today, um, fans and media, to look at things at one extreme or the other. It's not one extreme or the other for Chris Paul. He belongs on that all-time list of great point guards. Is he in the top five? I don't think so. Is he in the top ten? Clearly, I think he's in the top ten. But I, I do think that you know this was a great job by Chris Paul, one of the better ones of his career, quite frankly. He deserves all the credit in the world, and this counts on his legacy. But it doesn't erase everything either. He's done some stuff over the years and had some failures that squarely land on his shoulders. And, and again, I don't look at a finals loss in this scenario as a major failing of Chris Paul. There have been much more major failings before this. Matter of fact, I look at this as a success, getting as far as he did with this team that, although was expected to be in the playoffs with him, was certainly not expected to make this kind of run. Um, and, and I give him a ton of credit for that and a, a ton of credit for how he played last night. He was terrific last night. He really did. You know, they lost that game. It was not because of him. Uh, he played very well. But nonetheless, I, I do think that it's a complicated legacy with Chris Paul and one where we need to make sure that we're counting everything. We're not just looking at things from from one side or the other. It's going to be very interesting to see what he does in this offseason. I think he'll go back, but. If he tests free agency, I, uh, any team is going to be so eager to go and get him. I think especially the Knicks because he showed that he can take a young team and set the culture in a year. He doesn't need time. And for there's just the mentorship and just the, the – he, he's just so great for a team and an organization to build around when you're – when you have that guy to just, he's going to, everyone's going to listen to him. Yeah. He didn't win his, the finals, but he's shown no matter what team he's on, it's going to be a winning team and he's going to prove everyone. Uh, Jack, here's what I'll say to that. 
I think he's better with a young team than he is a veteran team. I think veteran stars don't want, I think Chris Paul has a habit of condescending. He has a habit of coming to two guys like he's accomplished a little more than he is. I mean, I had heard when he was with the Clippers, there was all, all of that resentment was that he acted like Kobe, but he didn't have Kobe's rings. Like Kobe was tough on teammates. Chris Paul's been tough on teammates in the past, but I do think that approach works better with younger players that are looking for the guidance to get there as opposed to guys that have been around the block a bunch. So I, I do think, and so with that, with that said, he certainly would be a major asset to the Knicks. I also don't believe he's leaving Phoenix. I think that Robert Sarver is going to do everything he has to do to keep him with the understanding that with their young core of Booker, Aiton, and Bridges, they're going to be hanging around a while. And that even if Paul's role is diminished as age gets up there, the leadership role is worth paying for. So I don't know that anybody is going to match the Suns in years or money for Chris Paul at this stage with him opting out. He's very smart to opt out because he can get a bigger contract in terms of doing that. I mean, this was a contract that when Houston traded, it was thought as one of the worst contracts in the NBA. He's played himself into it not being that to a point where he's actually going to opt out of $40 million as a guy that's going to be 37 when next year starts, which is pretty crazy. But he's played that well. But I do think his value to Phoenix is larger than it is to any other team in the league, including New York. With that said, I think New York will step up with a number, a big time number for him and, and some years for him. But I also will tell you that we've and we saw it last year with Leon Rosen free agency. He's not overbidding on guys. He had a he had a limit with Hayward that he wouldn't go above. It's a limit he's going to hold to here with Chris Paul. And so I think in the end, Phoenix, because of what he brought to them this year, because of the way he fits with their young guys, because of the faith that his young those young guys have in him and his relationship with Monty Williams, his value there is larger than anywhere else. And Bob Sarver, who has had a reputation over the years of being quite frugal, I don't think will be frugal in this negotiation. And Chris Paul will get everything he wants from the Suns. You know, thinking about Brooklyn and thinking about how they viewed these finals, uh, you know, obviously they have some decisions they need to make. They have to figure out, you know, uh, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie and, and they have to figure out, you know, uh, certain guys if they're coming back and Joe Harris, you know, is he going to be part of the team moving forward? But you got to believe that, uh, you know, if I'm Kevin Durant, if I'm James Harden, if I'm Kyrie Irving, I, I've got to believe that we are the team to beat, you know, next season, that, that the Brooklyn Nets, if they stay healthy, that no one is going to beat them. Because I, as impressive as what Milwaukee did, I understand, but they beat an undermanned, beat up Nets team. And, and in my mind, as much as I dislike them, because I do not like the Nets at all, um, you got to believe that they got that they're, they're going to be the team to beat next year. Do you agree with that? I do. And, and I think I think you have to realize not only did Milwaukee beat a battered and bruised up Mets team, they barely beat them. You know, took uh, took overtime in game seven to get that done. And if Kevin Durant's a size 17 shoe instead of a size 18 shoe and the three pointer he hits at the buzzer <laughs> at the end of regulation and his foot's not right. on the line. You know, we Brooklyn may have been celebrating last night. So, and I think that's very important to note here, not necessarily regarding the Bucks as much regarding the Brooklyn Nets. Listen, the, the, the Brooklyn Nets have something going on right now this summer that to me is has potential to be an awful disaster. If I'm Joseph Sy, if I'm Sean Marks, if I'm Steve Nash, every time Kevin Durant steps on a basketball court to play in an Olympic game, I'm cringing. It's the last thing you want for your 32-year-old star that's two years off, off Achilles surgery. 
You just don't want it. Uh, I, it's not necessary, but it's something he wants to do. And, you know, listen, a, a writer named Matt Sullivan wrote a, a book about a year being embedded with the Brooklyn Nets. And one thing that he's made very clear in, in that book and in corresponding interviews that he's done is Durant and Kyrie ruled everything that goes on there. They are right, in charge right. of the whole I read routine. the book. There's I, no- I read it. I read it, Brian. It's 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 a really interesting read. I, it's not to interrupt you, but yeah, it's a very yeah. interesting read. And and those guys rule the roofs. Durant wants to play; he's going to play. So, with that said, Durant's going to load manage a ton next year. Um, he'll be, you know, we'll see. I don't, I'll be surprised. Over under on games for Durant next year is probably fifty five. Really, I think I don't think I think he's going to miss a lot of games, and I think it's going to be by design. The single most important element for Brooklyn is going to be James Harden's conditioning in the offseason. James Harden got hurt and had a soft tissue hamstring injury that hampered him the entire second half of the season and in the playoffs. And I give him credit for playing with it. But that happened because he came to camp fat and out of shape. And that's something he can't let happen again. He has to be in as good shape as possible. And seeing what he's posting on social media right now, my faith is waning a little bit. You got, you're going to have to make sure that your body is where it needs to be when this season starts for the Brooklyn Nets. And listen, if I'm Brooklyn, I'm confident in running this whole thing back. I know Joe Harris didn't shoot the ball well in the playoffs. I'm not in a hurry to unload him. My biggest thing if I'm Brooklyn is figuring out a way to get Blake Griffin back, who played a fantastic role for them. That's going to be hard to get somebody to do that role. And I'm not worried about Spencer Dinwiddie. You don't need Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie thinks he's a lot more important to the Brooklyn Nets than he really is. And for the kinds of numbers he's throwing out five at 125, I, he gets that nowhere else. I, I don't think anybody gives that kind of money to him. I don't think Brooklyn will either. And I don't think they're all that worried about retaining Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't know that that's a priority to them. I think they're fine running this thing back with young guys like Bruce Brown, develop Nicholas Claxton more. You know, there's a lot of things that they can do here to make this team, you know, better around the margins as long. But if you don't keep your stars healthy, it doesn't matter. And that's going to be the biggest thing here. Listen, Sean Marks knows how to deal with things around the margins. I thought he did a really good job of building a good team this year. And once again, when guys get bought out, they'll be active again in the buyout market. There's going to be possibilities for Brooklyn because of who they have on their team and the stars that are there that don't exist for other teams. That's going to remain right now. So I I think for the Nets, again, I wouldn't worry so much about what we're going to do with Dinwiddie and upgrading from Harris. You have these three stars. Focus on keeping these guys in shape and healthy and making sure that you have them when you need to have them to the best of your ability. The Dinwiddie situation is definitely intriguing because not only are Nets fans going to be paying close attention to that, I think Knicks fans are too because I feel like they'll they'll give him a shot. They'll go for – they'll see what he's going to want from them because they need a point guard. They need a starting point guard in the worst way this offseason. They don't go out and get a veteran or draft a young point guard. Like I, I don't know what they're doing. Because Rose is not your starter. He showed he's that he's their bench guy. He's gonna come off the bench and he's gonna he's gonna be great. But if they don't find a distributor, a guy could actually average over five assists, and Dinwiddie could do that. He would do it great. I, I could see I don't want to overpay for him, but I could see the Knicks making their free agent addition this year being Dinwiddie. So I just I just Dinwiddie's he's interesting for them, Jack, in this respect. He, if the Nets aren't going to offer him what he wants to be offered, he may take a little less from the Knicks to kind of stick it to the Nets. So there's that little factor out there for Dinwiddie. I don't know that he's the assist guy that you're talking about. He's a a a 
point guard that likes to score the ball much more than he likes to involve other people. And don't get me wrong with Randall handling a lot of the offense and Randall being an initiator. I, I don't know if that's a bad fit for the Knicks. They had that with Rose and it worked well. And the Knicks are going to look to bring Rose back in that same six man role. I don't think they're worried about drafting a point guard because I think for the Knicks right now, they being the four seed in the East has to up the ante for them. The bar is higher. They want to win now. They're not looking for any developmental projects. I know that, you know, Kyle Lowry has some interest in the Knicks. The Knicks have some interest in Kyle Lowry. Um, we'll see if that works out. Kyle likes to be able to load managing games. He doesn't like to practice all the time. That's not Tom Thibodeau's thing. So what, can that work between the two of them? It's possible. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens there. But for the Knicks here, Dinwiddie's not a bad possibility, but he's not that assist guy. And again, I don't know that they necessarily need that assist guy. I thought Rose was a wonderful fit for them, but you're also going to be courting disaster, asking Derrick Rose to play, you know, 32 minutes a game as your starting point guard. I think for Rose, that six man role fits in perfectly. You have to find somebody else that can play for Rose and somebody else that can play with Rose. Dinwiddie, again, not a bad fit there. An interesting guy. Lowry, probably the better fit. But again, can that Larry Thibodeau thing work in a way that's going to be productive for everybody? And then here's the other thing. Does a disgruntled star end up on the market that totally distracts the Knicks from free agency and has them all of a sudden, we're going to look to pony up assets to bring a guy in. And maybe, you know, we've heard the name Damian Lillard a ton. Maybe it's Lillard. Maybe it's a guy like Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota that I know has digs on coming to New York. I don't know if he's ready to do that at this stage, ownership change going on there, but there's, we could get a surprise guy to step up and want to do that. And the Knicks in terms of disgruntled stars right now, they are at the front of the line. Definitely an interesting and exciting offseason we have coming ahead and that's been another great episode on the Gotham sports machine. Thanks for coming on, Brian. It's been great talking with you. Always my pleasure guys. Look forward to doing it again soon with you. Take care, Brian. Definitely. Take care. Talk to you guys soon. Yep.